Indiana, we are simply passing through history. This, this is history. Hold on to your butts. Now, what shall we talk about? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the Duel of the Greats podcast. Here we are, season one. Episode 11, folks. This week, it's Follow the Leader Week. We finally found a cool, not cool, uh, a decently catchy name for the episode. <laughs> Took us all week to come up with that one, but we got it. Follow the Leader, where we're talking about leadership skills and how these are used, right? How are these captured on film, right? We see so many times you see people talking or, you know, you talk about leadership and there's so many movies made about great leaders and all this sorts of things. So. How is that captured on film by these two different directors? And, and um, which one did it better? That's what we're here to discuss. We've been discussing all season. So one of the two movies that we're discussing this week that involves such things, well, for Ridley Scott, the movie would be American Gangster, starring the beloved Denzel Washington, his muse, Russell Crowe, and John Hawks, for one. I bring him up because the second movie is Lincoln, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, who John Hawks also stars in. And I will say John Hawks a whole bunch of times because I love John Hawks. John Hawks, fantastic actor. John Hawks, if you're listening, I love you, John Hawks. Please come on the show. But anyway, um, so, uh, but Daniel Day-Lewis is the beloved actor there. As Sally Field, Tommy Lee Jones. We got a whole bunch of Oscars in both these movies, big cast. Um, so lots of fun stuff to talk about. So guys, what what are your experiences this movie? So I'll I'll actually start with this one this week. So um <clears throat> Lincoln, I was super, super pumped to see. Okay. Spielberg, obviously, I love Daniel Day Lewis, I love. My wife and I, this is a big bone of contention between the two of us in our movie going habits. Okay. I love Daniel Day Lewis. I think he's phenomenal. There will be blood. Freaking love that movie. He is an absolute force of nature. My wife hates that movie, hates Daniel Day-Lewis in that movie. And I, I, I've tried and tried and tried. I've, I've, I've had the divorce papers in my hands over this. I'm just kidding. I have not. But it has been... Wait, you're uh, lucky she doesn't listen. <laughs> I know, right? Eggie, if you're listening, stop listening. <laughs> no, keep listening. We got our listener count up. But um, yeah, so I love Daniel Day-Lewis. I was super pumped for this movie. Went to the theater and saw it, of course. Um, I mean, I was you know, well into adulthood, so I didn't have to worry about it. I don't think it's rated R. I don't even know what it's rated. Once I turned 18, I stopped paying attention to movie ratings. So I don't, um, I don't know what it was rated. But uh, fantastic that I went and saw it. Fantastic movie. And then American Gangster, I did not actually see that one in theaters. Um, I was in college at the time, and we had like one little podunk movie theater and uh, Kirksville, Missouri. Shout out, not a shout out. This is a non shout out to Kirksville and your one poor movie theater. Um, but I don't even think American Gangster showed there. So I eventually saw it after I graduated. Um, it's a, uh, and it, you know, another, another fantastic movie. So um, 
yeah, Lincoln was was the big one though because I was really super pumped and I was really into movies. I was doing my blog at the time. I wrote a you know big review on Lincoln. Um, yeah, so that was uh, that was a big that was my two experiences. What about what about you guys? I saw. I remember Lincoln being kind of an event. It wasn't like a huge movie, but from a from an historical perspective. There was this aspect of biopics. It was was hype. It was a big deal, right? Exactly for for that kind of genre. It came out around the holiday season, and I I remember it being kind of a big deal. And uh, people spoke uh, about the Daniel Day Lewis and what he was going to do with that character. Um, And Lincoln, I'm you know addressing the Lincoln as sort of a character uh, in the sense. and so I saw it in theaters, like a lot of people. I saw it in theaters. I think I'm looking at the release date. It was released in November, uh, so I feel like I saw it on a holiday. So that might have been like a Thanksgiving movie for our family, uh, if I recall, because we used to see movies on Thanksgiving and Christmas before we had a bunch of little kids running around. Um, and I saw it, and um, then didn't see it again until I rewatched it for this podcast. And so I've only watched it twice. And American Gangster, for whatever reason, came out while I was in college, had every intention to see it, and just never saw it. For whatever reason, things were going on in my life and the way that things go on in your life when you're in college or away from home. And I just ended up never seeing it. It was kind of one of those things where like, oh, yeah, I have every intention of seeing that. I just never got around to it. And I watched it for the first time uh, this uh, last week, actually, when we were preparing for this podcast. So I went into it completely fresh, knew vaguely what it was about, but actually really went into it. Didn't remember a lot of the trailers. Kind of the first movie for this podcast we've done where I really went into it, not knowing really anything about it. Um, for which is kind of rare for like a big movie like that with a d- big director and a bunch of stars in it. So those are my experiences. What about you, Steve? Lincoln seems like a movie that I would have been all over as a as the history fan or a history fan. The Civil War was my first true love back when I was a child and growing up. Um, Steve would dress up and reenact the Civil it's War. It's not LARPing. Just... Brandon, I want to be. I want to. I didn't call it. You used the word LARPing. I didn't Brandon, say LARPing. Brandon calls it LARPing. <laughs> I. He was very, very. He would dress up like soldiers, and he would parade around our grandparents' house. That's just what he did for well, fun. And I, I did take part in more organized activities later as I got older. He actually yeah. did, and I really should be clear. He is a very legitimate <laughs> historian. He actually took place in actual like historical reenactments that have some sort of historical significance. Which, but as a kid, it was fun to make fun of him. So there Steve, you go. Steve still introduced me to the term FARB. <laughs> we're gonna, we're going too, down, too far down a rabbit hole here. We're going to lose a lot <laughs> this of... Is civil lot war. Of this is Civil War. If any FARBs are listening, you know who you are. If you so, come in... As they say, if you go into the reenactment and you can't spot the farb within five you're minutes, the you're the farb. For listeners that are not aware, which is presumably everyone, a farb is a reenactor who is inauthentic in some way, shape, or form. Um, arguably, I, I was farby because, not arguably, I was farby because uh, my weight, I'm not, you know, thin and lithe like a Civil War soldier would have been. Um, a lot of reenactors are probably too old. And then you also got people that just buy terrible, terrible clothes. And I have many, many thoughts about the clothing and equipage and comportment of the soldiers 
in this film, Lincoln. So we'll be discussing that. Uh, our sorry, our producer Brandon got us the the definition of Farb. There you go. Farb noun, a historical reenactor whose efforts at a historically accurate portrayal are, in the opinion of the speaker, inadequate. For example, wearing a modern wristwatch with a period costume. Big That's no a classic. No. Big. You don't do that. You don't do that. Nobody wears a smartwatch. In the show the notes this week, be sure to in the show notes this week, be sure to mark these minutes as the Farb tangent. <laughs> the Farb. <laughs> people farb might want minute. to skip. <laughs> All right. Basically, so continue seeing the movie. All right. Yeah, good point. I don't want. To, I don't want to go off on a Gettysburg tangent here. We'll come back to that maybe at a special. If anybody really wants, they can. The Farb. The Farb special. There you go. Brandon says the Farb Tangent is his band name. I like that. <laughs> Lincoln should have been something right up my alley. For whatever reason, it wasn't. I I didn't go see it in the theater. I think I saw it when it came out. On, well, obviously, when it came out on video. But I don't remember being hyped to go see it. Um, I have no explanation why, to be honest. It just... I and sorry to like always dip back into like our mutual upbringings, but I actually recall at the time we were like grown at this point. Mm -hmm. We were in our twenties, but I remember watching like a KU basketball game and we were talking about this. And I recall being kind of upset that you were not hyped to see it. <laughs> we had an argument about this at one point, 10 years ago. I can, you did. You kind of, you kind of just, arguing. yeah, you kind of just expressed this, uh, you know, you just weren't really engaged with it at all. And you just, you didn't have a lot of interest in seeing it. And I was, I remember being very surprised by that. I think it hit in a really bad time of my law school career. It was my second year, I think. No, it was my third year. So I have no excuse. I don't remember. Apparently it didn't make that big of an impression. But I did see it after um, I had thoughts then. I have some thoughts now. American Gangster did not see in the theaters. I was also in college when that came out. Uh, I think the first time I saw it was at Blockbuster. They had a sale when they were going out of business. It was around that, was it 2007, 2008? And I think I bought it for like 15, 20% uh, off, you know, whatever massive discount they were doing on DVDs back then, which were cheap anyway. And I really, really liked it. And I, I have a feeling, or uh, excuse me, a, a memory that it became almost like a, a 2000s millennials college student version of Scarface. Like, I remember people watching it in the dorm, or not the dorms, uh, like apartments and houses where I lived and my friends lived. I'd be like, this movie's awesome, let's watch it. Kind of like, you know, Tony Montana. Because there's not really a, you know, say hello to my little friend scene, but there's some. Regardless, I, I really liked it back then. I really, really enjoyed the movie. I've watched it multiple times since then. So I was thrilled to watch it again. In fact, I think my lobbying forced it into this series. Because it wasn't originally on the list, right? We had a different topic, but I really wanted to do this movie. So This is true. One of my yeah. topics, which will never be named, got pushed to the side for this one. I've already forgotten which one it was. I'm sorry. Yeah, I have not. <laughs> I will hashtag never forget. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it on a special, a Christmas special. Yeah, we can, we can do little blurbs on all the forgotten topics. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> that's... Uh, it's interesting. We all had kind of somewhat similar experiences. I think it's probably a lot of had to do with the uh, um, point in time of our lives that it came out since uh, American Gangster came out. When we were all in college and had other things likely going on. Um, but yeah, so these, what have you, Steve, resident historian, what have you dug up this week 
fun facts about these fun movies. Actually, neither fun movie's facts. all that fun, but they're There's good. There's nothing more fun than 600,000-plus Americans killing each other. That's the highlight of anyone's decade. Anyway, um, Civil War, that's, that's a segue. The Civil War was horrible and bloody, and much of this film was shot in prime Civil War territory. The Virginia State Capitol was used as a stand-in for the United States Capitol, and some shots of the White House. A bunch of the other shots in this movie were all done uh, in Richmond, uh, Petersburg, areas around Northern Virginia, which is just, you literally, I'm not even exaggerating, you literally throw a stick and you'll hit something that's Civil War related in that area. It's crawling with history. So I thought that was kind of interesting, the fact that this movie is all about the Civil War and it's so much focused in Washington, Washington, D.C., the capital of the Union. And then they filmed it just a stone's throw away, but also some of the stuff that... Uh, some of the sets that were used, some of the shots were from its its nemesis, Richmond, which was the Confederate capital, if you didn't know that. Um, another, I don't know if it's interesting so much, but when I was reading some of the Wikipedia notes in the criticisms uh, section, Eric Foner is a Columbia University professor, and I he's very well respected. I read a lot about him, or excuse me, by him, uh, in college, and he has an interesting criticism of this movie that I thought fits well with our discussion of Steven Spielberg. He said, quote, the film grossly exaggerates the possibility that by... Oh, sorry, skip that, forget that. Uh, it's not important. He, uh, the 13th Amendment originated not with Lincoln, but with a petition campaign early in 1864 organized by the Women's National Loyal League an organization of abolitionist women headed by Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. That's, again, Eric Foner, uh, cited by Wikipedia. But, you know, we have this ongoing conversation about Steven Spielberg and its treatment of women, and it's isn't it curious that this movie has zero, zero mention of that, and the whole thing is about the 13th Amendment, the passage of the 13th Amendment. So, I don't know. Discussion? Anyone? Any thoughts? It is interesting um, that that has become, I mean, maybe the most prevalent theme that we've talked about, like ac across the series. Is it really, like as a negative thing? I mean, obviously we have a lot of positive things to say about Spielberg. Um, but that is definitely the negative connotation that sort of permeates every single week that we seem to talk about. We seem to find these depictions or lack of depictions that are, um, you know, Either everything from like sort of indifferent to kind of offensive. Um, yeah. So that that's I did see I didn't know that because that wasn't included in the movie and that's I'm American and that's how I consume history, is with movies and so I I didn't know that and it was obviously yeah not I mean I, I the Civil War is in that era is one thing I I feel like I know quite a bit about I know more about the military history but I didn't know that specific fact I knew that abolition and the women's movement women's suffrage movement and all that came later you know there was all there was a lot of intermingling of um you know strategies and characters so yeah there you go thank you what would later become intersectionality um um i'm saying um i realized guys i say um a lot so you can save your emails i'm working on it go ahead jeff i will say that yes i do agree that as a, a through line of this season has some as you know kind of 
organically become Spielberg's treatment of women. However, despite this oversight that you've mentioned, which none of us knew about, I didn't know about either. So none of us knew about. So it's at least, you know, I'm not giving anybody a pass here, but it's possibly understandable that you know Spielberg may himself not have known, and people involved with the movie may not have known. Um, and so it was an honest mistake more than it was a deliberate attempt to. Uh, that's just a possibility. I don't know that for the case. Maybe they all knew and they were like, "This is boring. Who wants to talk about women?" So I hope that's not the case. But uh, it, both are certainly Brandon, possible. Cut that. Cut that dialogue there, Brandon. Uh, but. <laughs> I will say, though, in as far as on film treatment of women, um, I actually felt like from a Spielberg standpoint, this was one of the better ones. Yeah, I was going to say, and we I, do need to give him credit for this one, at least. I think that mostly has to do with the sheer power of Sally Field, who's just, you know, she's a legend, right? So, yeah. um, but she's phenomenal in this movie. And I think if you're Spielberg, it would be just doing a disservice to treat her how he normally treats women characters and this that sounds really bad but um but it's also true so yeah uh, and, and smartly to his credit he decided he's like no i'm not gonna do that i'm gonna let her run with these like her going back and forth with tommy lee jones thaddeus stevens character her going back and forth with daniel day lewis i mean you're talking about titans just if you count the movie lincoln the scenes where daniel day lewis and sally field are in you've got five oscars just in those two actors right there you know, like that's insanity. So, I mean, that's a lot of just acting prowess um, going on. So, yeah. And even someone like um, the Gugu and Bathara character, I cannot remember her name, um, but she, she works for uh, in the White House. And I think she might have been some sort of attendant to Sally Field's uh, first uh, Mary Todd. Mary Todd. Maybe. I'm not sure. That, I, that's, I that's Lincoln's wife. That's yes, Sally Field's character. Yeah, See, I did it. Otherwise did known as Molly to him, apparently. There but the she her her the Gugu and Bathara character, even even she had some agency in there that you would she had a little bit of a, a little bit more power to her. She wasn't as much of a throwaway character as we've seen some of the uh, some of the um I don't know what the word would be, the extraneous maybe female characters in some of his other movies, you know, she, she had a few moments where she really sort of exerted her own agency as much as is possible for a black woman of that time. And where, uh, she didn't just exist to give Lincoln something to, I don't know, do on screen by saying, Oh, I'm going to help this woman here or something like that. You know, it was, it was, she, there was a little bit of back and forth there, which, which was good. So in terms of that particular aspect of, of Spielberg, I think this was one of his better movies. So there are my, thoughts on that part one thought that i will actually add to that to talk up spielberg a little bit because i've been very <laughs> being negative uh, about you know his treatment of women i will also say this about the performance of sally field and overall his treatment of women is mary todd lincoln from a historical perspective perspective is kind of like the og we're just going to treat her as a crazy person. Like she was like sort of famously crazy and institutionalized, or I should say infamously institutionalized. And I think based on what we've seen, it might've seemed like an opportunity for Spielberg to kind of just play up that aspect of Mary Todd Lincoln. And instead he gives her a 
kind of this combative personality with a lot of substance, and he, he doesn't go for that uh, very low-hanging fruit that history has told us about. But I will give him some props for that as well. Yeah, because she very easily could have just been this raving shrill of a woman, and then they exactly. come and take her away in a straight jacket. And, and, this, you know. and again, that's that's kind of what Spielberg has done yeah, with a lot of these women in these wrong. movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, when he actually had the opportunity, maybe from a historical perspective, to do that, he didn't do that. So I appreciate that. And I do wonder how much that had to do with Sally Field. Like, how if you would have hired, I don't even know, right, some other actress who is not with less um, you know, of her age, but yes, less, um, you know, Virginia Madsen or something. I don't know. That's just the first name that came to mind. But just someone. Virginia Madsen hate. I like Jeff. her. I don't know. I like her. You, just said. Saying, you said you disrespect I'm her. And just, you think I'm she's a terrible just actress. saying. That she does, she didn't have two Oscars. Okay, we'll put it that way. That's indisputable. So, uh, but but you know, that that is a that's a legitimate point to bring up, right? Does does the the power of the yeah. actress have anything to do with how you're going to um, how you're going to present them on screen? And it's and, also sorry. Go ahead. Is this? I don't think this is this the first one of the Tony Kushner, Steven Spielberg collaborations. Surely not. But it is a Tony Kushner collaboration, and they've done a lot together, I believe. And, you know, so how much of this is also the writer? Uh, let me see here. Sorry, should have had this. Oh, so he did Munich. Lincoln was the second one. So is he having an influence on this as well? Um, he wrote Angels in America, which is well-known as a, not a feminist thing, but it is a... You know, it treated um, LGBT things. Uh, LGBT I think women were the main character, right? Yeah. Or am I thinking? Or is it that about? Might be about. I might be thinking of something else. But um, we're we're nailing our our diversity uh, uh, tonight here, guys. But uh, uh, on the on the flip side of this conversation, while we're on it, in terms, of, we've actually given. While he's not perfect by any means, we've given Ridley Scott more credit for his treatment of women on screen than Steven Spielberg, but American Gangsters was abysmal in terms of that. Oh my goodness, yeah. Like the, the only like legitimate like a Spielberg movie. Role, <laughs> I mean, the only legitimate speaking role that any woman actually had was Carla Gugino, who I love. Um, sorry, she was like... Besides the fact that she's awesome, she was like one of my first like Hollywood crushes back in the day, thanks to Son-in-Law starring Polly Shore. But anyway, hope Jackie doesn't listen to this one. Ah, she's she's fine. She knows. <laughs> she knows. Um, but the uh, the um, I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, Carly. She, I mean, she was the only real major speaking role for a woman in the whole movie, and she was just you know, shrewd divorcee wife who's the foil for the main character right which is just it's, like the tropiest of the tropey tropes and it's and it's made up he in real life the actual guy didn't have children so they present yeah. it this whole thing is having like this custody dispute that's like just completely made up for the movie <laughs> so again it, maybe maybe makes it even worse yeah well, you're and forgetting it, it, someone too but that she actually proves the rule I think that uh, that you're saying here, Ruby D plays um, Lucas, Frank Lucas's mother. But she's she, actually not. I'm pretty sure. For yeah, this movie. 
which I mean, she did a fine job, but to me, that kind of felt like people were recognizing all of her prior work, and they're like, "Here's an opportunity to give her something because she's barely in it." Yeah. I'm saying when she is in it, she's great, but I'm not, you know, trying to knock her performance at all. She just isn't given a lot to do because a few times she is in it, she's directly responding to him, essentially, Frank Lucas, and you know, it's all about him. Her her role, yeah, her role is is purely exists as mother. It does not exist as woman who happens to be mother to Frank Lucas, right? And and yes. you know, it seems like a small distinction, but when it, when it comes to portraying women on screen, like those types of things are really important to having a good portrayal. And again, Ruby D, her performance is very good, as justified by her Oscar nomination. But yeah, the 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 presentation of it doesn't doesn't do any um, doesn't break any ground in that category. And so it's almost like the two are reversed, whereas normally, you know, Ridley Scott does just a little bit better with the representation and Spielberg is the one that kind of has the throwaways. And then now we're here. Here we are. So, yeah, that is an interesting I hadn't actually thought about that until you started sending us along those that path. But that's that's an interesting uh, a sort of change this week. It's like the Uno reversal for yeah, female reverse creation. That did prove to be a fun fact. Then it got us chatting. There's not much else to, uh, in terms of fun facts for the movie. That um, made pretty good money, 275 million worldwide on a 65 million dollar budget. Critics pretty much universally loved it. Which movie is this? Which one? Sorry, Lincoln. Still talking about Lincoln. Got 12 Oscar nominations, including the big ones: picture, director, Daniel Day Lewis won for best actor. One of his, however many he has, and yeah, was, was nominated for a million other things. Say again. That was his third. Was it? What well, was it? So what? My left foot, right? There will be blood and Lincoln. My left foot, yeah, there will right. be blood, Lincoln. As far as male actors are concerned, I think there's like, it's it's Jimmy Stewart, him, and... B. Nicholson? Uh, Jack Nicholson are the only ones that have three, I think. He should have one for Bill the Butcher in Gangs New York, which I think is his best character ever. Overrated. No, no. That'll be another special. We'll talk that one. American Gangster has maybe, some fun maybe facts. A, maybe a preview for, for next season. We'll see. Ooh. There you go. There yeah. you go. Maybe we will talk about it. <laughs> Seeding some hints in here. Uh, American Gangster, I don't really actually have that many fun facts about the movie. It, uh, it was in development hell. Uh, Antoine Fuqua, who directed Denzel, Denzel Washington, pardon me, in Training Day, was going to direct it, but then dropped out four weeks before the shooting was beginning, going to begin. And this wasn't just a, uh, we'll all just go our separate ways. Apparently it was like so late in the game and everything that the cancellation, like contracts were broken and people were paid lots of money, including $20 million Denzel Washington got because it didn't, the movie didn't shoot at that point. So nice, right? He got $20 million to do nothing. I will quickly interject with what that is called. If you are a Denzel Washington or a Tom Cruise or whatever, uh, what that is is basically a pay-or-play contract. And certain actors, these movies get caught up in development hell sometimes, and sometimes actors will sign on to a project with a guaranteed salary, whether they even make the movie or not. And there's actors that there's, like, your top AA-list actors can do that, and some of your top AA-list directors can do that. Um, no, uh, like the, 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 mo the most the most famous one is that Tim Burton, uh, Warner Brothers paid Tim Burton ten million dollars for a Superman movie in the late '90s that he did not make. 
Uh, that was the famous. Nice. If you've ever seen the famous story of Kevin Smith, uh, the filmmaker Kevin Smith developing the Superman Lives project, it was mm -hmm. that same project. That was the script that he worked on for a little bit. There was a documentary that came out a couple years ago, and it was awesome. It was really good. Yeah, um, and so that's just kind of a good example. So that's why if you're a listener to this and you're wondering why Denzel would even get that amount of money, it's because sometimes these things get caught up. And actors know that, and famous actors know that, and so they demand the studio pays them at least a certain amount of money just for even basically saving the shooting dates that they would be available for something like that. Proof of his superstardom. He is one of the few that we have, I'd say, still left. Anyway, um, Ridley Scott wanted to base his portrayal of New York on his memory of it. I guess he came over in the, the 60s and 70s and... So he had his own vision of what he wanted everything to look like. And so he, he really focused on the production and costume design. And they shot live um, in Harlem. They had to go find a lot of places that looked of the period. And they had a uh, tough time doing it. But I think if you've seen the movie, you'd agree. It, it, the movie does have a very specific sense of time and place, at least I think, not having lived in Manhattan or Harlem <laughs> in the 60s and 70s. But... That's one of the reasons I think I like the movie so much is you feel like you're in that period. So, sort of a fun fact, I don't know. Anyway, they made $269 million worldwide on a $100 million budget. They went over budget many times. I think its original budget was around 75 or $80 million. It just kept going up and up, um, as we just discussed. Mostly positive critical response. Uh, nominated for two Oscars, uh, some BAFTAs, some Golden Globes. As we talked about, Ruby D was nominated for playing Frank Lucas's mother, and uh, I should have come up with her character's name. That's unfortunate that I did not, because she won a SAG award for it. So, there you go. There's your fun facts. Fun they were. So, for the categories this week, Nate, take us away. What are we going to talk about? Honestly, kind of bare bones on the categories this week. Um... When we talk about, so one of our categories is often visual storytelling. Uh, both of these are period pieces, so we might kind of address, as Steve just kind of did, the production design behind both of these. They were both shooting on location, a lot of times in the places that these things uh, took place. So kind of how the directors handle that on shooting, the shooting on location, uh, specifically when it's a reference point for what actually took place. Um, the exploration of theme, this is, of course, our leadership week, our follow the leader week, uh, which we took an entire week to come up uh, with the phrase follow the leader. Um, it's been a stressful week here. The week that we were recording this, there were storms and several power outages in the Kansas City area. So if you are from the Kansas City area and you're listening to this, you probably know the week here in July that we're talking about. Um, but uh, it's the follow the leader week, so we're just going to talk about, uh, or we could talk about the styles of leadership and how they are depicted in these films. There are obviously very different kinds of leadership uh, with different stated goals. Um, and so that dichotomy, I think, is interesting. And then finally, the thing that I'm most excited to talk about uh, is the characterization acting. Uh, and this particular week, we have Daniel Day-Lewis versus Denzel Washington. And I think what you really see here, uh, and uh, Steve, I believe, also kind of came up uh, with topic for the week is looking at Daniel Day-Lewis, who's kind of the poster child for method acting and really becoming his character, as opposed to Denzel Washington, who you don't really lose in roles, but he just kind of has a gravitas and a presence that really 
dictates who he is on screen and, and his believability on screen. So I think it's two really different styles that have worked uh, very effectively for both of these actors throughout their careers. Um, and I think it is an interesting thing to, uh, you know, look at and uh, compare and contrast. Um, so with that, uh, maybe we start with the visual storytelling. I know, Jeff, you had a couple notes about some of the lighting and some things that they did in Lincoln. Yes. So w with Lincoln, I thought it was really interesting. The um, So specifically, there were a couple scenes during the, because, you know, the whole crux of the movie is, and as we always have, spoiler alert, we will talk about any and all plot details involved in both movies. So if you haven't seen, wait, wait, stop wait. now. Does, Does Lincoln, Lincoln make it? <laughs> I, ew. Lincoln's Sorry, still alive to this day, Lincoln. if you would believe it. Um, <laughs> the joke in poor taste on this, on this, <laughs> by me. but um, yeah, so if you haven't seen Lincoln or American Gangster, stop right now, pause the podcast, go watch it, be sure to come back and skip the Farb interlude and come right back to this portion here. So, <laughs> um, but one of the things that I thought was 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 pretty interesting and cool uh, about how they shot Lincoln was, first of all, period piece, right? 1865 is when it took place. So, you know, electricity, not, you know... Did they have electric? I can't even remember now. Did they have? That's not a thing, no. right? Like that time, yeah. Okay, so it was all you know, gaslighting. Because I didn't know if it was like just starting with electricity and just wasn't prominent, but didn't have it at all. No, you get like you said, gaslight was probably so, most predominant in Washington at that point. Yeah, I assume. So there's a a quasi Barry Lyndon thing going on, and uh, I did not actually look up. I meant to, and I forgot if. Uh, if Janusz Kaminski was the um, cinematographer, for this, it seems like a fair bet to say he always is <laughs> for, for these uh, sort of Spielberg in the last 20 years or so. But I, uh, I, I did is. not. I will confirm that he was okay. a cinematographer. So it has that sort of, I really don't know how to describe that. I think it kind of, it started with Saving Private Ryan and has just kind of permeated through to today where this sort of grainy fuzziness to it and like the um it's almost got it's not quite jj abrams like lens flares you know but it's got this sort of like the light kind of extends and flows uh, on the edges of people and everything and the way he the way he captures light and it's a very distinctive style to me um, it's it's i think of the word gauzy and i don't know if i'm using like, i think, maybe I think we're getting the same idea with that yeah, yeah. so um yeah, the for for Star Wars, if you remember the scene where uh, Luke and Obi Wan they're going to look for for C three PO and they're they're going through the desert on the speeder, the speeder is actually on an arm underneath the camera. And George Lucas's um, brilliant idea to get rid of that was they actually took Vaseline and they smudged it on the camera. So it almost has it almost kind of feels like that, right? Like someone took some Vaseline or something like that and just put it on the camera. It gives it that little sort of uh, just almost like it's slightly out of focus, but it's not actually out of focus. Anyway, the whole reason I bring that up is to say that this movie isn't actually quite as much into that as something like um, a Minority Report or even Bridge of Spies was. It felt it, it, it sort of pulled things back a little bit and let the, the 
light from all the, the gas lights and all the different lighting sources that would have had to be present in that time without electricity, it, it, it let those kind of take over. And so you had different light and different shadow. And it seemed like, again, this is sort of a, a weird flip thing because the, the lighting, um, you could almost see some like Blade Runner-esque elements to how it was used almost as its own character, I felt sometimes, specifically in the scenes with, with, with Abraham Lincoln and, and Mary Todd Lincoln in the White House talking to each other about their family, about the votes, about all sorts of different things. And then they're arguing and they're yelling at each other in some scenes and these sorts of things. And, and, you know, it's dark outside or it's light. They're near, they're standing near a window, you know, Lincoln himself is all cast in shadow. And then um, Mary Todd is either, you know, she's, she's sitting down on a chair that's much lower than him, or she's, you know, kneeling on the ground doing something. And, and it's, I thought it was just really interesting how it seemed like every shot was very purposefully set up where the lighting was, was very specific. And, you know, half of Lincoln's face would be in shadow or it, it just, it never felt like you've got a clear look at his face almost until the end when he's literally riding to the play in a carriage and is, uh, you know, the sun is out and they've passed the vote and the 13th Amendment has passed and he's just kind of basking in, in this amazing thing that's happened. And, uh, you know, you can see his whole face, but th there's so many other scenes where he's just kind of shrouded in shadow, almost like, almost like he's fading away as we're watching him. And um, because there's even a point where he's sitting down with with uh, future president Ulysses S. Grant, and he's talking to him, and Grant is just like, "You've aged ten years in the since the last year that I saw you." And so you know, it's just this the toll that it's taking on this man. You know, he he walks with with almost a limp and a huge hunch on his back. He was like what six four or something. I don't know how tall Lincoln actually was, but. Daniel Day-Lewis is pretty close to his actual height, I believe. And um, so, yeah, I think visually there's a lot more interesting things done with Lincoln. It's just that it's not in the sort of bombastic Spielberg way where it's this jetpack chase scene through an alleyway like Minority Report, right? It's, 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 it's almost like a play Lincoln was. And I think part of that is why I really liked Lincoln so much. But it, it's, um, I just thought visually that was very interesting. And then... When you look at American Gangster, I think it was, you know, it 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 had that kind of graininess to it, almost that you that you see in some of the stuff from Kaminsky and Spielberg, right? Where it it definitely had these this sort of saturation in the colors, you know, the the browns and greens and stuff that was a little bit more prominent colors of that era, the burgundies and sort of thing. My, Small known fact, if my dad ever listens to this show, my dad got married in a burgundy tux in 1980. So nailed it. There, but nailed it. But but you know, those those types of kind of muted colors were were um this is obviously before 1980. It was, it was 68, right? When it took place? 60s-ish. Yeah. yeah. Late, late 60s, early 70s. I mean, there were multiple years, so at least one year was 68. But um so those colors, you know, and and I think it was really the camera work was really meant to ex, ex, uh, accentuate those colors and, and sort of the, the graininess added to the feel of being in the 60s and the 70s and everything. So again, these, there are these very subtle things that they've done that, that is not the, again, not the most bombastic that either have done in their careers or the most definable, but, but things that really they did 
to sort of capture the mood, especially with, I mentioned the, the shadows and everything with Lincoln specifically, and the movie is so focused on him, that makes sense. But then you talked about, Steve, how much Ridley Scott wanted to shoot in New York and his memory of it. And, and the city almost becomes a character unto itself. And a part of that is, is the, the specific coloring and the saturation and the graininess and all of that really, I think, adds to that fact. And so even though you don't think of these movies as like, these are great visual masterpieces, they do enough interesting things that there is still something there that I think the visual aspect did add to both movies, in my opinion. I think that what they ultimately are is the cinematography is kind of an extension of the of the leadership styles that they're depicting. So what you're describing with Lincoln, kind of this subdued look, um, kind of these muted, gloomy tones with the light, which kind of indicate, I think, that Lincoln, for a good portion of this, leads with almost a sort of quiet, subdued kind of leadership basically just walking into the room and his general presence in the room is what is going to command what he wants. Whereas American Gangster feels a little more gritty and it feels a little bit more raw. And certainly uh, that is the leadership style. It's a very gritty and raw leadership style, a violent leadership style that I think is expressed more in the cinematography. I think you also see it with Lincoln uh, the, the shots are typically composed with some kind of a steady cam or kind of a, tr- a slow moving steady cam or a tripod that's keeping the image really still. Whereas there's like these chase sequences in American Gangster that are very fast cutting and handheld and uh, it feels very frantic. And I think that kind of adds to sort of the violent overtones of the movie. Again, kind of kind of an interesting flip between the two because normally Ridley Scott is the one with that sort of tripod. And we've talked, yeah, where like Ridley Scott kind of sits back and lets it happen. And I feel like Spielberg does that more here where he's sort of sitting back and just letting things go. Whereas uh, Ridley Scott seems to be more invested in, this is like a weird thing to say, like more invested in like the directing of the movie mm-hmm. in the in the sense that like everything has to move and be very flashy and he's not he's yeah. not typically like that. And, and I do wonder. Sorry, Steve. I, I don't want to step on just for a little bit, but I do wonder again. Does this have something to do with with the sheer force of the acting? Like this is hands down got to be the best cast that Spielberg has ever had, right? Counting Lincoln, you've got three Oscars for Daniel Day Lewis. Sally Field has two Oscars. Tommy Lee Jones has an Oscar multiple nominations between um i mean uh um, supporting cast is just yeah insane. I mean, not, not necessarily by the time of this movie but just you know if you count um uh shoot i'm drawing a blank kylo ren adam uh oh um, yeah and driver adam driver thank you he's just a big player in this he's got like da- david strathern is one of my favorite actors um john hawks did i mention john hawks is in this movie is in both <laughs> movies have. um <laughs> James Spader, he's been nominated for an Oscar before. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who uh, he plays the guy from Kentucky with the really big draw. I cannot remember his name. He was in that Coen Brothers movie, A Serious Man. Shoot, what is his name? He's in uh, Shape of Water. What is his name? Oh, uh, Ari Shulman. Walter... No, no, not Walter Goggins. Well, well, Walter Goggins is in it though. Yeah, he is in it, but yeah. he's. he's... I want to say it's Ari Shulman is his name. That doesn't. Um. Anyway. So, uh, but sorry, but just the point being that there's an, an astoundingly good and strong cast in that movie. And I do wonder how much that 
has has come into play where, where Spielberg maybe for once in his life, if not, you know, maybe a slight few times where he says, okay, this actually, this list of actors actually over, you know, overtakes my name. I don't wonder how much that played into it. I think that's a fair, fair question because I think when we were first discussing this and I said, I don't have much here on the visual storytelling. So insofar as how it's, how it ties to the theme. I think that's that's where I was struggling. But there's definitely interesting things to talk about in terms of what they were doing visually. For all the reasons you guys just said, it really does seem like they've completely flipped. And I looked it up. The cinematographer for American Gangster was Harris Savitas, who, if you look at his filmography, the one that struck stuck out to me as this looking a lot like is Zodiac. Mm, to me, yep. This movie and Zodiac are in the same universe. I mean, obviously they were in real life, but you know what I mean. And it's These Michael were... Michael Stolberg is the name of that actor. Oh yeah, Michael. Yeah, yeah. He's in a lot of stuff. There's all kinds of people like that in that movie. It's crazy. So, as far yeah, I don't have much to say in so far as the theme was related, but you guys nailed pretty much everything I was thinking about. I had in my notes about Lincoln, this thing looks like a play. So I totally agree with you there. It's like he's shooting these vignettes, kind of like Ridley Scott, you know, shooting from multiple angles, just letting the story go, and and then he pieces it together afterwards. But here, it's, it's more the documentarian style. And then American Gangster, Ridley is, I had in my notes also, this looks very Spiel, Spielbergian. I think I did that during a chase in the the climactic scene where they're raiding the drug house in the projects. And John Hawks is running, chasing the guy. Oh, he runs. That was specifically where I wrote, this looks Spielbergian. So, that's kind of fitting. Can I make my profound statement for the week? Please. Sure. All right, here it is. And I want to get you guys' opinion on this, because I thought about this a lot. Uh, this is a conversation I've been having with some people in my life. And I think this week is like the perfect encapsulation of it. So, when I was younger... I really preferred, as I think we all kind of go through this phase, I really preferred the acting styles where I completely lost the actor in the role. So, you know, like the classic examples like Heath Ledger's Joker. Like you don't even know that you're watching Heath Ledger. <clears throat> and certainly with that method kind of model, that's sort of what Daniel Day-Lewis is doing. But I have found as I've gotten older that I actually kind of like, and I'm putting this in air quotes, I kind of like seeing the acting a little bit more. And I kind of appreciate what certain actors do. Like Tom Hanks is kind of the classic example of like, he's so famous, you're never going to lose him in a role. But then ultimately what he's doing is just kind of interpreting for you what that character may be or what he may do. And you're kind of looking at Tom Hanks's interpretation of it. That to me is what Denzel Washington is doing in this movie. And even though... The Daniel Day-Lewis thing is far more acclaimed. I actually think, in terms of that method versus gravitas, I, I think I lean a little more toward the gravitas. And I'm admitting that's just kind of a bias as I've gotten older. I don't know why that change has come about in me, but I definitely noticed it this week when I was comparing these two performances, and I, I kind of like the Denzel one more, but I wanted your thoughts on that. It's interesting you say this, because I, I found myself having similar thoughts specifically <laughs> uh, Top Gun 
Top Gun Maverick. Last year's hit film. So uh, try Tom on Cruise, this. He, Tom Cruise is a great example of this, where it's like yeah. you're never going to lose Tom Cruise in a role. That's okay, not so what his his purpose is. You that's know? what I want. I, this might just be semantics, but try this on for you, for you, for me. Some of these actors are so good at having this gravitas and being able to, you know, to do this. Denzel Washington, Tom Hanks, or uh, well, Tom Hanks kind of, but Tom Cruise. You're never going to lose yourself in the role, but when they're really hitting on all cylinders, you do forget it's them, and you just see them as that character in that movie. Does that is that overstating your feeling? But it, I think there's a it, distinction it, it, there. It, it, it's it's not overstating it at all. What the scene that prompted this is we were having a conversation about like movie moments that really affected us that were maybe in an otherwise not great movie. And there is a I'm going to like really nerd out. There is a movie called Saving Mr. Banks, and Tom Hanks plays Walt Disney in this movie. It is an otherwise not that great of a movie. There is a moment in this movie where Tom Hanks playing Walt Disney. He's having this conversation, and he tells uh, this really meaningful story about Walt Disney. He's he's Walt. He's portraying Walt Disney. And he's talking about his childhood, about how his father would make him deliver newspapers and snowdrifts that went above his head, and he would get so cold that sometimes he would pass out. And he doesn't like remembering his father as this really mean guy that would like whip him with a belt if he didn't get all the papers delivered. It is one of those very, very small moments where I, it's like one of my favorite scenes ever. And I think it's exactly what you're describing, Steve. It's that, like, I know it's Tom Hanks, but he is interpreting so well for me. Again, I don't know if Walt Disney ever actually, like, said that, but it's certainly in terms of screenwriting and acting, it's, it's probably something that Walt Disney thought, and it, it probably reflects his thinking in some way. It's Tom Hanks, the actor, that kind of interpret that in su- interprets that in such a way that for a moment I, I do get to believe that I'm listening to Walt Disney describe this thing about his father. And this is a long way of saying that I feel like Denzel does that in this particular movie. There are some moments in this movie that are uh, really kind of in-your-face violent. Um Obviously, kind of the the notorious scene where he goes up and he literally just blows yeah, the guy's head off right right in, in the middle of the road. Which, again, watching this movie for the first time this week was a really genuinely shocking kind of movie moment because that goes against all I the bet. movie making stuff. You don't do like any that never happens in a movie. Like a guy gets a gun pointed to his head, like that's it. Oh, what you're gonna shoot me here in front of all these people? And he just does it. It probably means very... more now too because it's Idris Elba, and when the movie came out, he was not big. But right. at it's least like in America, star, so now right. you're probably expecting him to. Exactly. exactly. Have so have like, oh, well, yeah. And so, boom, he gets killed. And then the other scene that I think about is when he, I guess he, I don't know if it ever really specifies. I think he kills the guy by smashing his head in the piano. He, um, no, or, the guy shows up later. Yeah. He severely injures the yeah, guy. He's, he's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, he, he severely injures this guy. And that's one of those moments where it's like, Denzel Washington. We know Denzel Washington. We're never going to lose him in a role. But he interprets this real person so effectively that in these very violent moments, it is genuinely scary. Like, I really do feel like I'm watching this person, you know, beat the shit out of this guy or just straight up shoot this guy in the street. And it's very, very effective acting. And I don't know. Again, it's different than the Daniel Day-Lewis thing where it's he's made up and he method acts in such a way that you really do kind of lose him. 
I have found myself preferring the gravitas more than the method. I, and so, again, I don't exactly know why that is. Jeff, I know you came off and I know you have something to say. Can I just drop a real quick? It's so perfect that you brought this up with Denzel. I just wanted to drop this nugget that I found when I was researching. There's, a, there's an article on the film school rejects. I can't remember the author. I'm sorry. If you Google it, you'll find it. When Daniel, or excuse me, Denzel was reading um, for Spike Lee for Malcolm X. They had a whole bunch of Malcolm X's actual speeches and they had Denzel read them, like literally just read them verbatim. And then at one point they were filming this like for a test. And at one point he, the, the script stopped. The actual words of Malcolm X were no longer like he'd read all of it and he kept talking for five minutes and Spike Lee afterwards was like, you know, what happened? You were, you know, did you just make that up? And he's like, yeah, I just, it just kind of came to me. And in an interview later, he said something to the effect of, I'm not Malcolm X, but the same God that animated him can animate me or something to that effect. And I'm like, holy shit, that this is exactly what you're talking about. Somebody, you know, he's capturing that character so well uh, that he's saying something, you know, like in your Disney example, it's something that maybe even Walt Disney didn't even say or think but he can, he can channel the essence of that. Anyway, sorry, Jeff, go ahead. Well, I have not seen Saving Mr. Banks, but to stick with the Tom Hanks... No one has. I don't even know if Nate bought a ticket for it. I, I, am, I am the only person. As a matter <laughs> of we found it. We found him. Uh, but then I'd say that one scene, which is available in its entirety on YouTube, just go if you type in saving mr banks scene that's going to be the first one that pulls up and it's it's just so good well just even since i haven't seen that movie but to stick with tom hanks right i would bring up captain phillips okay i went and saw that movie in the theater that was a big time you know seemed like that movie was hype i, I mean that was a recent event we remember when they got that the tanker got uh pirated by the the Somali pirates uh taken over by the Somali pirates and so but the whole movie I'm watching, there was everyone was raving about Tom Hanks' performance. Like, surely he's going to get an Oscar and all this stuff. I'm watching that movie, right? I don't know how long it is. Two hours. For an hour and 57 minutes of that movie, I'm sitting there like, man, this is just typical dad mode Tom Hanks. Like, he's good, right? He's good Tom Hanks. Um, but I don't understand what everyone's talking about, right? What was so special about this performance? And then, like the ending happens where this pirate who has kidnapped him gets shot and killed right in front of him. And it's maybe the most intense and just indescribable three minutes of any movie I've ever seen. And just one of the most astounding pieces of any performance I've ever seen. So it kind of has that same feel where, where you're never going to not see dad mode, Tom Hanks. Right. But just in that moment, he's so um, incredible. So I, it, I bring that up, which which seems kind of weird because I'm now going to immediately flip this and, and kind of say that, I, not that I disagree, but I find that I am the opposite of both of what you mentioned. I think when I was growing up, I think I preferred, you know, I loved movies so much and I love seeing those actors so much. Jack Nicholson was the first one that I really kind of thought in that in that vein, right? You're never not going to see Jack Nicholson in the role from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest all the way to The Departed, you know, 40, 50 years, it does not matter. Jack Nicholson is in every single role, but he does slight variations of it, right? And I, the, the Departed was on the other night, and I love that movie. And so I watched it, and it's just, you know, they're just, 
he adds little like just hand movements and little sort of, you know, eyebrow. I mean, he's got so famous for his eyebrows, but you know, the sort of facial movements and stuff that just slightly different from any of the other parts that he's done. And that's how they differentiate, you know, but you're still going to see Jack Nicholson. And so there's, you know, I definitely like and respect that, but then I found that I really love when, um, like I've talked about, I'm talking about my wife again. Can you believe it? But she, any movie that's over two and a half hours, right? She'll refuse to see in the theaters. No movie should ever be more than two and a half hours long. She says, I think there's a lot of people that agree with that, but um, I I'm okay with movies that are longer. And the aviator is one of my favorite movies of all time. Now the, when I saw the movie, the aviator in the theater, the movie literally it's in the final scene of the movie. And Leonardo DiCaprio's Howard Hughes is looking in the mirror and I'm like, all right, now the movie's yeah. And and now I was like, now the movie's really going to get started. This is awesome. And then I'm like, holy shit, it's over. And then it was like, that was three hours. And I loved that because not only the movie was so good, but DiCaprio's performance, DiCaprio is kind of this weird medium, right? This we're not, don't want to dive too off into a tangent here, but like, he's so strikingly good looking as a man. You're never going to not say Leonardo DiCaprio, but at the same time, he does have a little bit more of that element where he can lose kind himself a hybrid, in a role. Yeah. yeah and that, um, cause he is a method actor, I believe is, or at least somewhat. And so in the aviator, you know, he, he went full on Howard Hughes. He's got such a different voice. He kind of changes how we, how we walks and does everything. And, and, and it, it sucked me in and I forgot where I was for like three hours. And ever since I saw that movie, I've been like obsessed with Howard. He's like read books. People made fun of me and my, not made fun of me. My, my friends in college gave me a hard time about my quote unquote man crush on Howard Hughes because of that movie. Was your nickname um, Spruce Goose? It That's what not, it's going to be now. It should have been. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I feel like I find my way in there. And I love, I've already talked about how I love Daniel Day-Lewis, but, but my wife, part of the reason she doesn't, I think it, it, she's told me is because, you know, the method is too much for her, right? It's, especially when it comes to something like there will be blood, you know, she, the, the, the voice, his diction that he uses in that movie, she just does not like it. And I think if, you know, I don't know what the real, I mean, when you hear Daniel day Lewis in interviews, he's real soft spoken, like shy seeming person. And so if that's the real Daniel day Lewis and you'd have him on screen and you're, he's the Jack Nicholson type doing variations of that. He might be more like a Woody Allen type person. I don't know as an actor, as an actor. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, I find the whole method stuff more compelling. Uh, that said, I think that there is a world where method acting only happens on screen. Um, and by that, I mean, I have a strong distaste for the full-on method where it's like oh we're shooting this movie for 90 days and so for 90 days you don't get out of character like get out of here that that annoys me when i hear those stories right like jared leto sending dead mice to people on set in boxes because of his joker role and he's getting into character and i don't know if that was true or not but that was you know um i I heard a funny a funny story from kate hudson and, and i think i read this in an interview where um, she was in a movie called Nine with Daniel Day-Lewis as a musical. And in the movie, I've never seen it, but this is just from her story. And in the movie, Daniel Day-Lewis's character is obsessed with her character. Um, and so at one point, Kate Hudson was talking to Leonardo DiCaprio and was talking, they were talking about Daniel Day-Lewis because they'd both worked together. And she was like, oh, you know, 
um, isn't he such a wonderful guy? And Leonardo DiCaprio kind of looked at her and was just like, what are you talking about? He's kind of an a-hole. And then it dawned on her and she's like, oh, that's right. In in the movie I was in with him, he was obsessed with me. I'm getting flowers and chocolate off screen, right? On set, he's sending this stuff because he's still in character. Whereas in Gangs of New York, Steve, you already talked about Bill the Butcher, right? He's, he's mortal enemies with Leonardo DiCaprio. So of course he's not going to be nice to him on set. And, and you know, I, I think eventually... Uh, DiCaprio and, and Daniel Day-Lewis said, you know, they had dinner and became friends once the, you know, outside of the whole process of making that movie. So it's not to say that Daniel Day-Lewis is, is, is like a bad part. Everything I've, I've heard is for that. He's pretty good and all that. But um, yeah, I just, I do think there's a world where, where you can be a method actor and can only happen on screen. I believe Heath Ledger was like that because I, I feel like I heard stories about him kind of joking in between takes uh, as the Joker you know, on, on set of the, of, of the dark night, but just that he would require a few minutes, you know, before the scene started filming to really get worked up, to get into that mode. And I think that's the, the appropriate way to handle it versus just this, this constant thing, which is a bit of an aside, but, but overall, I just find myself that I, in the flip, I like, I like still losing myself in that and where I don't realize where I am. I don't realize how long a movie was and I don't realize that, oh my God, yeah, I forget that's Leonardo DiCaprio and it's not Howard Hughes or it's, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis and that, that was, because that's what Abraham Lincoln sounds like now to me. And, and that's what I think of with Abraham because Daniel Day-Lewis's performance was so good and it's such embodied that character. Uh, so yeah, that's, a, that's where I come out on that topic. So I guess for that topic we've discussed two of the three topics should we tally them or do you guys want to dive into leadership because i feel like that's gonna we're gonna interesting talk thing about different types of leadership yeah i think the interesting thing about the leadership is that in these movies they're depicting such different leadership styles with very different goals so it's going to be easy to sit here and say well lincoln Obviously, he was a better leader <laughs> um, <laughs> because of the goals that he was trying to to attain. Um, I I don't know. I, I think these. I think it's. I think it's so different. Um, what's interesting is that like film, the history of film is kind of full of great leadership roles, uh, like American Gangster, where the leaders are trying to do bad things. I mean, The Godfather is kind of the shining example of. People reference it as with leadership quotes all the time, but in the end, they're you know ultimately not good people. Um, and I don't know. I feel like American Gangster maybe with its leadership style is kind of trying to aspire to that. I'm not sure that it gets there in the profound way that other crime movies have before. With uh, or care, you know, I think of like Ocean's Eleven. You know, like ultimately, like they're bad guys, but you're rooting for them, and they're so it's George Clooney and he's so suave and it, I don't know and I don't think American Gangster is going for that at all but I do think it is kind of going for sort of a Godfather Goodfellas-esque sort of leadership I personally don't think it, it really gets to that level where this is a person that you are admiring in any way or a person that you would uh, look to for uh, a quote about leadership I don't know I could be wrong yeah he he rules through fear and intimidation not through any sort of love or respect and he he doesn't really take advantage of his the strengths of his subordinates he rules kind of in spite of them and i think it's telling that in the big climactic scene 
in the projects when the whole operation's going up and there's the raid and everything. He's nowhere, you know. His his underlings, who are also his, literally his family in many instances, are being shot and gunned down defending his empire while he's not even there. So I, it, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, one, it's kind of hard to compare Lincoln, who's famed as a supposed leader, you know, to to this Frank Lucas guy. But I'm with you. So I think we've talked about how it's interesting that these two movies have, are kind of flipped almost in the in in styles between what we normally see from from Ridley Scott and Steven Spielberg. But I think in terms of of leadership and how this is shown, I think it it kind of flips back to what we normally would see. And like because Lincoln as a leader, right? That's stupid easy to put on on film, okay? Right? Like you know, he's every, if you say great leader, like by default, most Americans are going to say Abraham Lincoln is one of the greatest leaders we've ever had. Right. And just the, it's, it's such an easy thing to put up because it, like you said, it, he's trying to do a good thing. And we know it's something that needed to be done. It's something that everybody wants to happen. And it, so it's this, it's this easy thing to show on film, but this, the Frank Lucas, leadership style and and the everything they're trying to show in that movie it's not easy to put that up there and it's it's i think if there's one area where that movie kind of struggles it's it's in giving us some place somewhere to something somebody to root for right because you've got frank lucas who who seems initially they start off right like he's this he's this quiet guy he's the driver for a bumpy uh i can't remember his last name but uh, Bumpy Wilson or something. I think it's just was... Johnson. I think it's Bumpy Johnson. Bumpy Johnson. Okay. So, you know, he's, he's Bumpy's driver and sort of bag man, if you will. And he just kind of silently listens and, and takes in everything and, and tries to put that into play once he gets his chance to become a leader. And he's like, I'm going to do something nobody's done before. And he, he doesn't, just go and kill everybody and then take over their business. You know, he goes, he's like, okay, I'm just going to do it differently. I'm going to find a new way. And you know, that's, that's good leadership style, but ultimately. Except, except for the one guy he does just walk right up to in the middle of the street and kill. Other than that guy. I mean, that's, he, but that's, that's after. That is, that's you're right. After that is his, kind of an after effect. Yeah. Yeah. That's after he started when he's, that's where I was getting at where eventually because you're in that business, you're, you, you can't not get your hands dirty and he has to. And so, and then it kind of, you see it sort of taking its toll on him. And like my favorite scene, I've kind of like, I don't think you're supposed to be laughing at this scene, but I was like, so you, you, you talk about the scene where he smashes the guy's head in the piano. And then afterwards, you know, they tell everybody to leave the apartment or whatever. And he's cleaning this fucking this shag carpet. Like, and he's it's like, you got to block that shit. Don't, don't st- what did, I can't remember what he was. Don't, don't. I'm just. You gotta yeah, block like, that. He's like criticizing the guy don't rub about it. how his carpet's being cleaned. Yeah. Yeah, and he's. I mean, he's completely serious, just yelling at this guy. And his I'm wife's right. sitting right there, and she's, you know, scared about. I don't say we're his wife at the time. She was his wife at the time, but uh, just she's like, who is this guy? What's going on? This is not the the gentle guy that I thought I was getting with, you know. Even though. They're... All right, everyone. That's on me. Uh, sorry about that. I cut out there, obviously. So uh, I set the automatic update. I told I snoozed it. I thought we'd be done for a later at, at a, earlier than we were. 
and I, I miscalculated. So my computer just upped and restarted on me, but I'm back now to finish the show with a bang. Um, a bang like the bang of that man's head under the piano. Oh, I thought you were going to go with a John Wilkes Booth reference. <laughs> oh, God. Either would have been appropriate. I'm, I'm just going to cut in here. Earlier when you said the the way they shot Lincoln, I was like, maybe he should change that to film Lincoln. because <laughs> Didn't even catch that. Did not even catch. I love a good pun, so I'm actually I'm disappointed with myself that I didn't catch that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so I think the point that I was making ultimately was just that you know, you see the toll in leadership style that it takes on Frank Lucas over, you know, the, the, the weight of what Lincoln is doing takes its toll on him, but his leadership style is, is more life-giving than literal life-taking away of, of someone like Frank Lucas. So uh, that's kind of, I think if I, I was kind of talking about how, how it is much easier to depict Lincoln's leadership style because it, it is a positive thing that he's trying to accomplish with that style. But I mean, I, I do think that there are, there are presidents. I don't think I know there are presidents who have done good things and done and gotten them to be done in a not good way. So, you know, you can still, obviously you can't depict Lincoln if you're trying to be in any way historically faithful, you can't depict Lincoln doing stuff and just make it completely change the, the, who he was as a person. But you can make it so that, um, you know, you, you, could, you can tell a story out there where somebody's trying to do a good thing, but ultimately uses means that aren't good to do it, right? Like, um, I don't know, you could tell the, uh, what the, the drug dealer in Colombia, Pablo uh, Escobar, Pablo Escobar, right? Like, he's kind of a sort of Robin hood like figure from what I understand to the Colombian people, because he, he actually like donated a lot of money. He did he owned a soccer team? He did a lot of things with his money that those people liked, but of course, you know, he did lots of bad things as well. I don't know if that's the right example that I'm I don't think for. you need to leave our current um, example itself. Lincoln himself did some pretty awful things objectively suspend suspended habeas corpus through journalists in jail um you know things that are directly contrary to the constitution and the idea of american freedoms all in this pursuit of the greater good preserving the union freeing the slaves i mean that obviously wasn't his goal at the very beginning but and he even you know the character in the movie talks about that um you know he, he's done some horrid things. i mean bribery they use bribery in the movie uh, yeah. I don't know if that's historically accurate or not, but to, to sway some of these people, you know, do the ends justify the means? I don't know, but I think he's a perfect example of it. Yeah, and he even has that moment near the end where he stands up and he says, I am a man cloaked in immense power, you know? So yeah. he, this, while he was not taking that, you know, sort of brash in your face style that, that Lucas does, literally shooting somebody in the face in broad daylight, you know, he... He's a little bit more subtle. He's a little bit more unassuming and tries to lift other people up in order to kind of almost get them to feel like, hey, this is your idea. I'm just helping you along to it. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, Frank Lucas so, style is my, this is my idea, but you can help me. Subtle difference, but it, it plays out in a very different way. I think that helps kind of, that's a nice segue into what, 
a scene that I wanted to talk about, which I think. So my, well, my pick for which movie depicts leadership better is Lincoln. Um, as far as which movie is better, I like American Gangster better, and we can discuss you know pros and cons when we vote here, but uh, about what we're actually voting on. But one thing that I think is the best part of either of these movies, especially about the theme, there's a scene after Lincoln and Thaddeus Stevens have met, and they're talking about essentially um, what it means to to do good, and you know is is compromise ever worth it? And they they talk about this analogy with the compass. I don't know if you guys remember this, but, you know, Thaddeus Stevens says, essentially, you got to just follow your moral compass, and it's always pointing north, you just go north, and you just go there, and you never deviate. And Lincoln's like, yeah, that's fantastic, except the great thing, or, you know, the bad thing about just using a compass is the compass without a map doesn't show you if you're walking right into a swamp or a mountain range. You know, you have to do both. And I so, with that setup, a little bit later in the movie, there's this fantastic scene, I guess it's really a more than one scene, it's a couple scenes interspersed together, where it's juxtaposing Lincoln um, talking to the the uh, Confederate Commission, or I guess he's not talking directly to them, but he's refusing them entry into Washington, D.C., which has been this big plot point. And by doing that, he's essentially saying, we're, damn it, we're committing to passing the 13th Amendment, and we're going to have to lie to Congress to do so. Um, <clears throat> excuse me which he's not wanting to do this whole time. It's him stepping up and doing something that he he was pushing, you know, going beyond the pale of something that he wanted to do that was out of his comfort zone here. Um, basically taking what his subordinate, the feedback from his subordinate, Thaddeus Stevens, and saying, you know what, you, subordinate, have an excellent idea, and I'm recognizing that, and I'm going to use that to do good. Where at the same time, it's juxtaposing the scene of Thaddeus Stevens in Congress, who is it's a big plot point. Basically, he'll be the Thirteenth Amendment will be sunk if he says what he truly believes, which is that all men are created equal, black, white, whatever, uh, because he's a hardcore abolitionist. But to get this thing to pass, he needs to just say all I believe in is equality before the law. I I don't necessarily believe that all men are created equal. It it's you know, it's a distinction, but obviously a very big one. But it goes against his very core values to say that second part, or to not really say that second part, you know, that all men are actually created equal. It's not just equality for the law. But anyway, he's taken lessons from Lincoln. You know, I have to temper this a little bit in order to get what needs to be done, done. The means do justify the, or excuse me, the ends do justify the means. Um, and so he does it. He says, you know, all I believe is equality for the law, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, this whole juxtaposition of these two things happening just perfectly encapsulates to me what true good leadership is. It's a leader is inspiring others to to do good things, but also you're able to take things that they give you and not just blow them off, of course, um, but be able to use it and incorporate it and move everybody forward. So I really love that scene. And that, to me, makes it so that, that this movie is way better than American Gangster in terms of Effective leadership styles. If we're going to make a poster about how to be a leader, we're going to use this movie, not not the piano scene from American Gangster. How do you vote then for this week? So I, 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 I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I how did I vote last week? Because last week I remember I was similarly torn between one was a way more fun and better movie, and one 
better fit the theme. And I don't remember how I wound up voting. I feel like you voted for Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, you did. Jeff and I both voted for Matchstick Men. Ridley Scott won. It was weird because so you're, the... you're, the... you're the Ridley Scott guy and you were against us. So then I wound up, wound up voting for just what I thought was the better movie, more more watchable, entertaining movie. Yeah. So if that's the case, I have to go American Gangster. So we barely we didn't get a chance to talk about this, and I'm not, I won't go into details. But I watched this is the second time I watched Lincoln, and I I really don't like this movie <laughs> overall. So it's it, I, I, it, I I mean go ahead finish because I, I have a point to make about this. So this is the first time I've seen it since I've seen Hamilton. Actually, this feels like Hamilton. The dialogue is so on point. It's exposition, plot dump. It's not like real people talking. Like in the scenes in the cabinet where he's like, well, if you remember, in 1863, I did this, X, Y, Z, to pass this, this, and I did the Emancipation Proclamation. Because if you recall, we were in this position. And this is, I'm like, if he was literally singing it, it would be, it's Hamilton. It's, which works great for Hamilton. But here it's like, it's like a really, really high budget History Channel documentary, and I kind of just hate it. It's also just too on the nose, and it's too. Um, I don't know. I, I don't I like. Will, I will add on that this week, and I, I purposely kind of buried the lead on this just because I wanted to, you know, talk about it as objectively as I could. Both of these movies for me are even American Gangster. It is took a lot. I mean took a lot to get into it. it yeah. I mean, it, it takes a really long time getting in, honestly. Um, just even the connection between the Russell Crowe and the Denzel Washington characters, it takes a really long amount of movie time to establish yeah. how those two, like what the point of these two separate things is. Uh, Steve, I completely agree about Lincoln. It's clearly, it, what it is, is it is the perfect representation what we've been talking about of this era that we need to name apparently of like the mm -hmm. last 20 years of Steven Spielberg films that it's like okay it's objectively good like, no one's going to say that it's a bad movie altogether it's an objectively good movie it's well made it's well shot it has great productions it's a very high budget movie it has a great production design it's obviously incredibly well acted but there's nothing He's not doing anything new here. He's not progressing any further as a storyteller. And this is kind of a plot-for-plot, plot, beat-for-beat sort of retelling of this thing that, as you said, I think it's a very good way of describing it. It's like a really high-budget History Channel dramatization, what it is. It's yeah. like if the History Channel got Steven Spielberg and Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's, it really that's is. what it is. Um, <clears throat> So for that reason, I would I, watch that. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Did. If it were on the History Channel, that'd be amazing. Um, I think for that reason, I, I I agree with you, Steve. I think that Lincoln is obviously a better representation of leadership. I think the more entertaining movie to me is probably American Gangster, even though for me it did take a really long time getting in. Once it gets in, and the Russell uh, Russell Crowe, he kind of establishes his little drug team. Mm -hmm. From there forward, I really really liked it. It also had, you know, again, not really knowing a lot about the movie, particularly like, you know, the the something that Denzel's doing in this movie that I do think is very powerful, and we've discussed extensively about what that means uh, with his acting. 
I think, you know, that scene where he just goes and shoots the guy in the middle of the street is a genuinely shocking moment. And you don't get those kind of moments in movies a lot. That one moment alone is kind of enough for me to nominate this movie over just because it really surprised me. It's a kind of the the rules that dictate storytelling in movies are you just you don't do that. Like, it's not how those scenes play out in movies. It's like, oh, you're going to shoot me in the street right here. And then they talk about it. And then he probably cocks the gun. And you know whenever a character cocks the gun to shoot someone, no one's getting shot. Like, it's just this, it's this, dead, it's this dead giveaway. And he doesn't do that. It's just this very quick exchange. And he shoots him. So I think American Gangster, for me, was a little bit more shocking. It had more of those moments for having watched it for the first time. And maybe I'm biasing myself a little bit. But um I, I'm going to vote Ridley Scott this week and say American Gangster is just an overall more enjoyable movie. To be consistent with my re- reasoning last week and my vote, if that's what I did, if I did Catch Me If You Can because it was a more fun movie, then that's I'll do that as well this one, American Gangster. Sure. Jeff, if I could... <laughs> well, I'll give my reasoning anyway. Um, I disagree with both of you to a certain extent. I... I like Lincoln quite a bit. I remember uh, when when I first saw American Gangster, I came away slightly disappointed. And I think even though I still like it, um, I was a little disappointed. And I think seeing it again, I was able to kind of put my finger on what it was and that it's, you know, not that you necessarily have to have like somebody to root for necessarily in any given movie, but just that it makes all the characters so unlikable and hard to figure out. And especially, mm-hmm. Nate, when you talk about, you mentioned that fact about how the, the Russell Crowe's character in real life um, didn't have a kid, didn't have this divorce proceeding. The only reason that divorce proceeding was in the movie was to make him look like a piece of shit. And it was supposed to be this sort of big moment, kind of, where he walks out of the courtroom. And he's like, you're right, I did this all wrong and all this stuff. And, and, but we just get no payoff from that. And he leaves the courtroom and it's like, oh, is he a better person now? I don't know. It's not like we see him with his kid after that, unless I missed something. You know, it's not like he reconciles with his wife. <laughs> we never see her again after that. We never see his kid. He never talks about his kid. He, he, I, he just... I, I, I agree with what you're saying. One thing I'll quick, just very quickly point out is while it doesn't draw back to that, like, okay, has he been made a better person? does deal a lot with this idea of of uh, bribery with him being a cop and there's sort of this infamous story that they all tell that he returned a million dollars he found a million dollars and he returns it at the very end is that scene where he basically gets bribed again by the frank lucas guy and he basically just says like you know i could make that happen if you want that to happen and he says no i'm not going to do that and he's like why are you not going to do this like, it's just the right thing to do so i think it i I think it's tying those two things together a little bit. It's a very, very loose thing to tie, but I think that's kind of the follow-up to that. Maybe. If I squint hard enough, maybe I can see it. But I, I just, you know, I think that that was that whole million-dollar thing, too. Like, I kind of struggled with that because I'm like, it almost seemed like they were going to show how everyone falls into corruption, and then Russell Crowe was going to fall into it, and he never does, and I guess that's the point. But... He just kind of, I don't know, it, it, the the fact that they're trying to make Russell Crowe this sort of one bastion of being a good cop in this seedy world of Josh Brolin, slick back hair, bad cops, then, you know, 
they, they could have done a better job than to make him this sort of deadbeat dad, terrible husband womanizer uh, who just, you know, somehow also passes the bar exam in his spare time and becomes a lawyer. Like it was just, it was all these sort of weird threads that were tugged at, but never really unraveled to a, to a satisfying conclusion. And I felt kind of the same way with Frank Lucas, right? Like you have the Denzel's character. He actually, I think it's a really good demonstration of leadership, albeit a different style when he just kind of goes his own path. He sort of goes outside the normal means of, of what he's been told is the norm of, of what he should accept and creates a new way, creates a new avenue, essentially creates a new product. He brands it, you know, all on his own, but they don't, they don't really spend a lot of time. He, he kind of mentions how he learned everything from this bumpy character, but he doesn't, they don't really go into how he learned about it or, or, or how he, you know, once they show him going to Vietnam and, and getting this, this pipeline created, then it's just, that's kind of it. And we just take it for granted for that one. And it, it's, I, I, I got to disagree. There's a lot made about the putting the drugs in the coffins and not until, not until and... the very end when they get the final, um, when they get the, the final search warrant for it. Like I think about the movie blow, right. And that's not a super great movie either, but like the entire movie essentially is just dissecting how they find these plans to get it, who they have to talk to, who they have to, you know? And so we get, we just get, he calls his cousin and then all of a sudden all these, all these, all these MP uh, military people are involved and we don't get any sort of sense of who these people are, why they want to be involved, why they want the, you know, how they get this money to them, all this sorts of things. It just kind of, it happens and we accept it. And, you know, and that's not like the biggest thing. It's not, it doesn't ruin the movie by any means, but it's just, just another point where there's all these sort of little things that for a three hour movie, you think they'd be able to explore and sort of document those a little bit better. The movie's too long. I'll give you that. Yeah. And, and then like I said, like it's an hour getting in before yeah. these two characters who are like build is like the two top stars. Like you even understand what their connection is. So I, I mean, I agree with that. It is too long. And, and I mean, John Hawks, <laughs> Did I mention John Hawks? He has two hours of screen time and he doesn't even show up until an hour in. So it's, it's crazy. That's the biggest problem with the movie. <laughs> he should have been in all three hours. Um, he was in the, he was, he probably wasn't in, he probably had more screen time than he did in Lincoln. But, uh, you know, whereas I would do, I would agree though that Lincoln, it's too, a little too on the nose, right? Like the entire movie is just a series of speeches, whether it's Lincoln or somebody else. But I'll be damned if they weren't just fully executed to the absolute best of these actors' abilities. And just, I mean, that scene at the end when it passes, and you already talked about it, Thaddeus Stevens, Tommy Lee Jones, he he, he compromises his true yeah. belief to make this pass. And someone comes up to him and says, you know what? You asked me once if I'd ever been surprised, and I was surprised today to see you compromise this. Is there anything you won't say? And he goes into the speech, and he's like, you know, this this amendment that I believe in my marrow must be passed and that I've fought my entire life for blah, blah, blah. And he goes, no, I don't think there's anything I won't say. And it's just like, bam, like there's just a lot of these moments that just sort of emotionally it's manipulative, but it's Spielberg. And so it, it, it doesn't feel as though as it's as manipulative as, as somebody with not as deft of a touch would, in my opinion. And so it, 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 it got me emotionally at multiple points in the movie. And, I also think this goes to, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis's credit. I love him. I've already talked about that a lot as well. But he 
you know, to me, Lincoln is a Daniel Day. It's the only Spielberg movie that is a Spielberg is secondary, right? This is a Daniel Day Lewis movie. He inhabits that role. He is Lincoln and he absolutely destroys that role. And maybe not the best choice of words, but he absolutely is fantastic in that. He earned the Oscar for it. Absolutely. So blows um, it away. <laughs> I was blown away. <laughs> it, uh, so, you know, it's, it's just, uh, I, I would have, if, if my vote mattered, in this week's episode, I would have I would have given it to Lincoln. I do give it to Lincoln still. Um, I like that movie movie better. But it, you know, I don't even know if American Gangster is more fun. I didn't find it or entertaining. I guess more entertaining for it's, me. It, it's got more action, I suppose. In terms but, of general, and I'm saying this at the very end of the episode. In terms of just general enjoyment, both of these movies are combined enjoyment i had in watching these movies was probably the lowest we've had so far in our there's something about you know like we watch really movies that are you know are very great and then there's even something fun about like the week we watch their worst movies and that's yeah. fun because they're bad there's something just objectively like they're just good yeah there's something that's kind of boring about the about that that they're good they're an entry in the catalog you don't know they don't hurt the filmmaker but they don't help the filmmaker's legacy either they're just kind of there and i feel like both these uh both these movies really inhabit that that space yeah i i already told you guys i I disliked lincoln way more than when i the first time i saw it but i used to really like american gangster i remember watching it like i said quite a few times but this time i just i'm with you i i just was uh it did it felt like kind of like a slog yeah, like 99% of all directors in history, right? If, if they directed either one of these movies, it'd be like they would hang their careers on these movies, right? But for these two literal titans of movie industry, you know, it's just another, it's just a Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, they're both technically very well done and feature great performances, but it's just... And you know, the thing, these farbs... In the beginning of Lincoln, the, all the soldiers, they got the hat, they got the hat brim. They have it bent like a modern baseball cap. And this happens in all kinds of Civil War movies. And if you look at the pictures... hire you as a consultant. It'd be so easy if they hired anybody that had ever looked just, at a picture of Civil War just soldiers. Look at a, just look at and read a book. <laughs> just... And they were walking around, the soldiers, it's pouring rain. They're walking around with their rifles slung so that the barrel's facing up with no sort of cover or anything on it. You call Karsten up and you see if any soldier ever would do that. Well, no Spielberg, I mean, we watched Saving Private Ryan. They all had their guns completely encased in plastic. Now, granted, you, you, you didn't have that kind of, you know, plastic bag. No, but there's a thing issued. The principle, yeah, you're the principle of covering the gun so it doesn't it, get It wet. was called a tampon. The word tampon comes from it, actually. It's a little wooden thing, a plug that literally went in the end of the barrel to keep it from getting wet. And if you didn't have one, you would not be carrying around barrel up. This is black, it's a black powder weapon. You get water in there, it's fouled. You got, nope. These are the worst soldiers in the world, but they know the Gettysburg Maybe address. that's why in the beginning, they were, uh, they were all stabbing each other instead of shooting each other. This movie, man. What are we, what's our tally at? Well, now. Scott wins this one. Are we tied again? We're tied again. It's 5-5. Five, five. Unbelievable. I, I, we right, must wait, emphasize to our listeners, we are not planning this we are going in and giving our own opinions no, every sorry. week do not discuss ahead of time 
That's it's six five. It's six five. Ridley Scott. It's week eleven. Okay. Is so. it really? Wow. It's still close enough that people are going to yeah. be suspicious that we have to tell them we're not discussing this ahead of time. Yeah, it is true. We are not. I don't. Yeah. I mean, we've even changed around the. Uh, the yeah, that's the stunning part. This was a mid-season off-the-bench replacement, and it it just happened to to contribute in this way. Hmm. Off the bench replacement. Okay, so mixing metaphors. It's fine. Our show this week. So next week, let me pull up the list here. Drum roll. Should we get a drum roll? Let's see. You know, in the Civil War, they used drums to communicate on the battlefield. Also bugles. Also bugles. Um. Shoot. I've got it up here, Jeff, if you want me to read it it off. Go ahead. All right. So that concludes episode 11. Follow the leader. Ridley Scott wins the week by a vote of two to one. Next week, very exciting. We have Stranded. We have Steven Spielberg's The Terminal versus Ridley Scott's The Martian. Two characters stranded in very different ways in very different places, but it's across some of those same themes of what it means to not have a home and stranded and locked in the place you are and how they are going to find their way back to whatever home it is they are trying to find. That will be episode 12, week 12 for us. That'll be a fun one. Very exciting. That'll be a fun Looking forward to that. All right. So with that, that will conclude the show for this week. So we'll see you next week for our stranded episode. Until then, uh, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week.